Hi, my name is Kendra, and I trip over flat surfaces, and this is a podcast where we can stumble through life together, so let's get going. Hey everyone, today I have Jeff Aiken. He is a 20-year veteran of the public and private sectors. He has extensive experience in both media and entertainment, as well as over two decades in management and leadership. Jeff specializes in listening to others, which is an art. It's a talent. Not all of us can do it. Helping them unleash their true potential and giving feedback that is authentic yet kind. Jeff is a strong believer and champion for diversity, equality, and inclusion, and he is an ally that has worked hard to create welcoming and inclusive work environments and to provide equitable opportunities for employment. Jeff has a certificate in diversity and inclusion from Cornell University, and his work has been recognized by his state as being a model employer program. So I welcome to the podcast this pro wrestling TV broadcaster turned executive leader, Jeff Aiken. Hello. Hello, Kendra. Thank you so much, so much for having me on here. I, I, I'm buzzing. Like you made me sound like somebody who's really amazing. So thank you for doing that. Well, I think you, I think you are amazing and we'll get into it later, but you have just such a, an incredible uh, podcast as well. And the creativity around what you've created there with your, with your podcast is pretty amazing. Well, thanks. You know, I, I have, you talked about my passions and my passion really ultimately is to turn I want to I want to help people be leaders, right? And help them affect really great change and help people be great. And so yeah, I've got a podcast called The Starfleet Leadership Academy. It combines my two loves, Star Trek <laughs> and leadership together. That's awesome. That's so cool. That's so awesome. I just think it's so unique and uh why I first gravitated to your to your podcast. Well, and because I did gravitate to your podcast, I saw that you definitely had a passion for um, helping individuals with disabilities. And um, I, I haven't mentioned it yet on the podcast before, but I, I will. I, my sister ha- has a disability. She is handicapped. And it is a physical disability, though. She has polio and she's had it since she was a little kid. But but really, your, your um, aspect is working more with mental disabilities, correct? It is. I mean, I've, I've really, my journey has brought me to a place where I, I embrace inclusivity for, for everyone, right. In every way. But what really, where I really get excited is creating those opportunities for people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Yeah. Awesome. Well, maybe tell us a little bit about why this is a passion for you and how you got started. Yeah. You know, I think, I think passion's a weird thing, right? Because when, when we're six or seven years old, we all have a passion for something. And for some of us that lasts a while, for some of us, it's not till we're like in our forties or so that we really realize that something, you know, is, is, is our thing. And that was kind of what happened to me. Um, I, I've worked in the public sector for a long time. And part of what I do is I go into organizations to, I don't want to say fix the culture because uh, you don't fix a culture. I'll say that I go in there to work on and improve cultures uh, to be more people oriented. And I met, I was, I was placed into a, into a program to manage that had been managed by, I'll just say been managed very, very poorly <laughs> for a very long time. And I'll leave it at that because there's literally lawsuits pending uh, oh, still wow. around. Or, yeah, it was not good. That's crazy. But they had hired uh, a couple of people with intellectual disabilities, um, which was great. They were actually recognized for doing so. But when I got in there, I found out that they had created just this this horrible, horrible environment. They had these people working on a different forced schedule. They took breaks separately from everyone else, ate lunch separately from everyone else, um, just really segregated uh, actively. And... Uh, when I met them the first time, it like, like my heart broke, like it literally just like fell apart. I'm like, these are cool people that are excited to have jobs and they're being, <laughs> they're being treated like garbage over here. And in that, that second, like I realized I am here to help these people right here. 
and I helped those nine people. And now my job is to help all of those people in there. But I remember that, that, that moment so clearly, so clearly. Wow. That's crazy. And so they were doing that just because you think they didn't know how to effectively manage those types of individuals or I don't know, almost makes it even more uncomfortable of a situation, of a situation. It does. Well, you know, I think, well, the real reason they did it is in our state, we uh, had a program. I don't know if it's still fully in effect at this level, but they would help subsidize the wages. If so, if I hired someone with an intellectual or developmental disability, the state government would come in and help subsidize the the wages. So it was kind of a foot in the door opportunity for people Uh to come in. And that was the whole reason they did it. It was purely financial okay. in there. So no interest in helping the people whatsoever. No, no just purely business driven. Right. So what, And not good business, not good right. business driven, right? Like, like just like the worst, like the Uncle Scrooge business driven. <laughs> so at what degrees of disabilities um, did you start out, you know, assisting? Because I think... Obviously, there's no background experience here, right? So you are coming into this situation presented with this opportunity to to learn and provide support. And how did you get there? You know, I mean, you obviously made a decision in that moment to be, you know, here's your passion. So how did you start in in finding your path um, on your passion? Yeah, no, I think, you know, kind of, that that first thing, the the, the the nine individuals that I worked with initially um, were various varying intellectual disabilities. A, a number of people that were autistic um, in there, not a lot of physical disabilities, but what what they would term at one point at least as what they'd say highly functional. Um, you know, individuals. So they, they could read and write. They were fully mobile. Um, didn't if they the only real accommodations they needed were around uh, job coaches, you know, or things like that. So nothing, um, nothing that to someone who speaks the language of accommodation. Nothing that was very uh, overwhelming um, in there. But but you're right. Like it's okay. So here's this problem, right? I've got this group of of people who don't necessarily identify as or haven't openly identified as having an intellectual disability in this group of people that do. And so the first thing I did um, was I just started dismantling some of just those, those, those strictures that were put in place. They had people on forced work schedules and forced break schedules. Now the work, the work they were doing was processing mail. So mail was coming in for a very large um, organization, about 15,000 employees Um, so mail was coming in and they were opening it, sorting it, scanning it, and then doing data entry to kind of send it out to where it needs to go. And so we just, there was no reason like it, we didn't, we didn't need that factory whistle, right? Oh, break time for everybody. There's no business need for that. So step one was really, it had benefited everybody regardless of ability or disability was like, yeah, you can work whatever schedule you want. Right. And you can sit where you want to sit and you can sit by your buddy or whatever. It's all cool. And, uh, and so really just kind person. of, right. Yeah. <laughs> just that basic. Well, oh my gosh, Kendra. I mean, and I don't want to, I don't want to go down this path because I could just talk forever about how, how draconian the culture was, but the people that worked there didn't have their own office chairs. So at the end of the shift, they would put their chairs in like this, uh, corral, sort of thing. And then it was a first come first serve, uh, sort of thing. Um, they had some business reason I imagine for it or whatever, but in my opinion, it was all about like, well, we can't have you feel like you belong here because then like you might get your own ideas and start thinking. Yeah, exactly. So we got rid of all that, right? We let people have their own desks. We let people have their own chairs. It, It sounds ridiculous saying it, but these are the things we did, but we did it together. For everyone. It wasn't this group, this, and this group, that. Instead of talking about them as two groups of people, I would actively talk about us as a team, every single one of us. So so when you first started there, where did, first of all, let's talk about the people that are working there. They've, um, without disabilities, you know, what was their current mindset of the individuals that were working there, because if they um, disagreed or not, there had to have been some kind of a little bit of desensitization. Um, dis- 
that's a word, right? <laughs> Desensitizing to the situation because they were just going in doing their job every day. So, so where were their thoughts on working with the uh, with these individuals? And then, how did you go about really uh, breaking down those thoughts and having them generate new thoughts about the positivities around working? Yeah, I'd say that people generally fell into one of three categories. Um, and it's not like a 10, 80, 10, you know, bell curve kind of a thing. It's more like five people here and then like 90 people. And then, because like there are a small group of people that were really excited and had gone out of their way to get to know these people and establish relationships, like very small group of people. And there was an equally-ish small group of people that used some really harmful language and were pretty hateful towards um, these people. Um, spoiler alert, none of those people work with us anymore, um, <laughs> the, the, the hateful ones. But most of the group, and this, this was... Um, this was kind of mind blowing to me. Um, like they were, they were aware that we had a team that worked over in this other part of the building, but they really didn't know anything about them. They didn't know their names. They didn't really know what they did. Oh, because um, I didn't interact with them on a daily basis for their own job. Exactly. Okay. And they had built the jobs in such a way that when our, our team of people with intellectual disabilities did their work, it was invisible to everyone. Like they never shown a light on the work they did. So most people were barely aware they were even, even there. Mm. Just horrible. Yeah. And you, you know, I mean, honestly, as you're saying that I'm feeling a little guilty. I mean, there's probably people in our, in our own office, just regular people that we do that with, right. We're going in there and we're just doing our own thing and then just leaving to get home. So yeah. So yeah, we they, get in, oh man, I could just go off on so many tangents, but we get into what I call check the box mentality, right. where I just go in, I got to check my six boxes for the day and I'm done. And one of my boxes is not interact with the people around me, you know? Right. So I, I, and I challenge people regularly to, to, if you're going to be a check the box person, make one of your check boxes connecting with the people you work with because like it's pretty awesome. <laughs> I like that. Or even the person that you live, I live on the East coast and I can tell you, I can live places for like a decade or more and I have zero clue who the person is. That, you know, wow. is next. It's just, yeah, I'm up in the Pacific Northwest. It's very different up here. We know everybody, <laughs> yeah. but, but you asked a really great question too, about how do you kind of bridge those, those gaps? And this was, this is the thing I was really excited to do. And it was, um, it was great, but it required, this wasn't like, a, I want to be, I kind of caveat everything with as a, as a manager, as a leader, I can create spaces, I can create environments, but it's the people who step up and the people who do things that actually make them happen. So like the magic I did here was getting to know people and then asking them to step up. And so what I did here was we had, um, as a lot of offices do, right? We had like the birthday committee, you know, that tracks everybody's right. birthday. We had the fun committee that does the holiday party and those things. And so I challenged some of the people on the work team with, with, uh, with intellectual or developmental disabilities. I said, Hey, uh, I think you should be on the birthday committee. Like, let's get you there and try it out. And, uh, and wow, they were not cool with that <laughs> Oh, because they felt like they were going to be rejected. Totally. Absolutely. Okay. Um, and, and, you know, and, and for very real reasons, you know, I think that at a high level that working with people with disabilities and trying to create these employment, these inclusive, um, employment opportunities for them has really taught me how traumas in life really inform every decision that we make. And for, for the people I was working with at the time, they had some horrible traumas. People were awful to them. And so here's this new guy, right? This, I'm a big, boisterous, loud guy. And I'm like, Hey, go yeah, just walk into the lion's den. It's, it's probably right. going to be cool. <laughs> right. So for someone who's not worked with someone with a mental disability, how should they approach you know, having a, a relationship with someone, I'm just going to use my own experience with this at my current job. I work with someone and honestly, I would have had no idea that he had Asperger's until he said something to me. And I, 
I just a little side note, I'm the kind of person who I'm a doer. And so I'm going to walk into your cube and probably not ask how your day is doing. I'm just going to say, Hey, did you do this? Yeah. And he's always like that. And I just kind of gravitated to him and I'm like, God, I really like this guy. And like, you know, you know, what, I don't know what that says about, I don't know, but I just enjoy working with him. He comes in, he just says things and he leaves. And, great. and then it was great for me. And then one day he told me at Asperger's, I was like, holy cow, like, you know, can I get more of that? And, but right. really how, if he hadn't said anything, I honestly would not have known. Clearly he's very high functioning. Um, he's incredibly smart. Um, but if, if the tables were different and maybe he didn't act that way, maybe he acted in a different way. What's, and and I didn't know. So how do how do you manage that in your yeah. work? Yeah, you know. So this this was a really fascinating thing that happened for us because I had I inherited a, a leadership and management team that needed needed some work, right? So they were they were brought up in a in a management environment of of just telling people what to do, and I was obviously challenging them to lead in new and in different ways, um, really empowering and enabling individuals to do stuff R- and empowering and enabling all individuals, right? Like not just the not people without disabilities, but everybody. And so they kept crying. The managers kept saying, you know, we need training. We need resources. We need these things. And I didn't know what I was doing. Right. And I think, I think that's, that's another really important thing to know. I didn't walk into this with any expertise outside of just management experience. I just been managing people for a long time. And one of the things that has taught me is that managers don't have to know everything. Like it's an unreasonable, unreasonable expectation, but managers do need to be okay to ask for help. And so that's what I did. I reached out to the state. Um, state had it has a program. Uh, it's a there's a federal program in here in the states called um, Employment First, and so they actually have programs that help states build infrastructure to help support employers. And so I reached out to our Employment First um, uh, office here in the state, and they they hooked me up with a consultant group who says, yeah, we do. They have job coaches. They do trainings and all this kind of stuff. And, um, they came in, they did a training and it was, uh, it was about an hour and a half long and it was completely useless. It was like yeah. ADA 101. Oh, no. This is an accommodation and why you do an accommodation? And we're like, yeah, got it. Like we, we got this. Right. You can read that online. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's actually mandatory training on it. You know, we got this already. So I had a conversation with the consultant and I was like, yeah, I missed the mark. Totally. This is not what we're looking for talked about more just our use case, right? We, we have nine people at the time right now, as of today, like you fast forward today to today, I'm still working with this group. Um, in addition to a couple others. And I think we now have 27 or 28, um, people that have identified with IDD, um, working for us and doing great. But, um, So I explained it. So they did a training for us on really like how to use their accommodations, how to work with a job coach, how to work with a a behavior coach and and the personal support worker and kind of the other people that some what we call supported workers might have surrounding them. And after four weeks, they, they did four trainings for us, each one about an hour and a half. And after that four weeks, our big aha was the best way to manage, lead, and build relationships with these people uh, is to treat them like people. People. Yeah, like it's that simple. And so, like, and and so we've had this right with people that we work with. How do I? How do I reach out to so and so? How do I connect to so and so? Well, the the same way you would anybody else. you know, because I think, I think what we end up doing and what I know I'm guilty of this, my leadership team was guilty of this was we let those biases and stereotypes unconsciously inform what we're seeing. So I have a person with an intellectual disability in front of me who's nailing it, right? They're doing a great job. Everything's fine. They're doing awesome. But I want, I want to challenge them. I want to help them grow and give them new skills but these biases and stereotypes get in the way and I start questioning what I'm going to do. I start trying to treat them differently. Right. Worst, there's this toxic positivity that comes and I've had to address this with some people on my team 
where we'll have an, we'll have a success with one of our supported workers who does something awesome. And their response is, Oh, so cute that they can do that. Oh, and I'm like, wow. yeah, but, but what I understand is that this person who's making this comment has decades, you know, of life experience that has kind of that paternal or maternal point of view towards people with IDD and, and IDD being intellectual or developmental disability. I know people get confused with acronyms um, on there, but they have, when, we have to, we have to demolish that. And it's like, no, of course they did that thing. They're capable of doing that thing. We gave them the opportunity to do, of course they did it. We should celebrate it as we would with anyone else. And that means like not everyone, regardless of ability or disability, not everybody wants to be publicly recognized, right? Not everybody wants. So it really boils down to just, (laughs) they're people and we treat people like people and get to know them as individuals. Don't, so how do we get past these thoughts of, um, okay, am I going to say something wrong? How do I, you know, um, it's just, I'm going to use the bad stereotype example where you meet someone who just doesn't speak very good English and you just talk louder. Yeah. You know, I've, I've, I've caught myself doing it. Um, but so in the moment, you don't want to say something inappropriate. You don't want to look bad. You don't, it, we just find it easier not to interact at all. Um, really, where do we find that place? We're going to be uncomfortable doing it. So let's let's just accept the fact that it's going to be a bit uncomfortable if you're not used to doing it. But where do we start? Where do you, I mean, obviously beyond hello, but we don't want to say anything inappropriate. We don't want to, it's, we don't want to ask someone to stand up if they can't stand up that kind of mentality, yeah. the, those thoughts. So it, there, there's really, there's a number of levels to this, but I'm going to address like the micro, like the, like the me and you to, you know, one-on-one kind of a approach and then the responsibility of leadership on there. And the one-on-one, well, I guess I'll, let me start with the, the leadership piece, because I think that it's really up to leaders and I'm specifically saying leaders and not managers here, because we all know, right. That just because you're a manager doesn't mean you're a leader. And for a lot of us, the leaders we look up to are colleagues, peers, you know, or, or people that we just work with all the time, but it's up to leaders to normalize it being okay to make a mistake. Right. And so, um, I guess it's like assuming, assuming a positive intent as, as your, your place of starting in there. And, you know, this actually, another example, it's not related directly to people with intellectual, it's not related to people with disabilities at all. Um, but we had a person we worked with who you, who, who their pronouns were they and them. And we have people who really struggled with that a lot. And they had this really great, uh, approach to it. And they said, you know, so I, you know, it's on my email signature. It's what I tell people, you know, my name is this, I use they, them, and they get one. Right. And so when they're like, well, yeah, so I was talking to her, uh, it's, it's them. Cool. Next time it's listen, what's the problem? Like, why are you not getting this? And, uh, so kind of giving that pass. So if you say the wrong thing to a person with a, well, and, and, and you know, a disability and you know, it can happen, you know, it, it can happen in so many small micro ways, but when it happens, one, the person needs to have the confidence and courage to stand up and say, mm, not okay. You say this instead, or don't say that at all. And then the person who said it has to be cool and saying, thank you for correcting me on that. And then the key part is then they have to do better, you know, afterwards. But I think just having that humility of putting yourself out there, messing up, saying the wrong thing, and then, um, and then, and then eating the crow (laughs) that you might need to afterwards. And, and again, the kind of the drama I'm going to keep beating here is that, this happens, you know, regardless of level of ability or disability. You talked about people who wear English isn't their first language, but you know, for me, the most like the most horrifying position or thing to say that I've been able to avoid my whole career, and I'm <laughs> knocking on wood right there because I'm putting <laughs> in the universe now. But just that whole like uh, sitting down across from from a woman and saying, "Oh, how far along are you?" Oh no, that's happened to me. No, no, multiple no. times, multiple times. I'm so times. sorry. Yes. Oh yes. God. I was like, uh, no, just fat. <laughs> That's what I said. 
I mean, I, d- I wasn't offended. This person had asked me before. I was like, no, still just fat. <laughs> Nothing's changed. <laughs> I know. She poked my belly. She's like, you got something to tell me? I'm like, no, just fat. First of all, wow. why are you touching me? Yeah. That's another story. <laughs> But, but that's a, but it's such a great example where like, you're like, look, okay. You said it. Ha ha. You weren't trying to be mean. I'm accepting what you said with positive intent, but I'm not going to let it lay. I'm going to say, no, I'm not. And this, and so I, I guess what I'm, what I'm trying to get on a platform and kind of say is it's so easy to look at a person who is not like me, right. Or not like us and, and be worried about saying the wrong thing but I should be worried about saying the wrong thing to people who are just like me, but I should also be cool with saying the wrong thing and expecting to be called on it, but in a instructional way. Yeah. Well, I think the we first need to time. have grace. I think we need yes. to have grace for people. And now we're coming outside of the disability and let's just talk about in general. And this is a big soapbox of mine is that we're all different. We all have different political beliefs. We all wear our clothes differently even um, it's going to be a while, but I plan to do a podcast on, you know, what are you wearing? You know what? If you want to show up to work, Jeff, in a dress, I don't have a problem with that because I don't think that um, like growing up, I was considered a tomboy. I couldn't stand wearing dresses. I wore, and I went to a uh, Christian school, so I had to wear dresses on Friday And so I wore them with my tube socks and my sneakers. And so, you know, the tube socks with the red stripe at the top. And I probably had a like purple dress on or something. I don't know. But my point is, they say like the, the clothes make the man and dress for the job you want and those things. However, I, I could put a, um, let's just get really graphic here. I could put a pornography book. Um, on a Bible cover. It does not represent what, you know, is inside. And so I just think that we should, if you have blue hair and mine's blonde, you know, love your blue hair. Yeah. It doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't make you unintelligent. And you know what? Those people like 10 years ago that had baggy pants on, one of those people are going to be CEO of Google one day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and my, and it's just I don't know. I think that's why maybe I'm a little bit more passionate about that. No, I think I think it's so important because, and this isn't a fully baked idea. So I'm going to dive into this, and like here I am saying things that might be the wrong thing, right? Mm-hmm. So I'll own it ahead of time. But I, I I feel like, and I can't put this in the best words, but I feel like in a sense, just as human beings, we all share a disability, and that we have these amazing people inside of us that are capable of, I mean, just awe-inspiring things. But we have these stupid bodies that get in the way and limit us from doing things. And then then you layer on top of that the fact that there are people with physical disabilities, intellectual developmental disabilities that even further like inhibit that amazing person inside of them. Mm-hmm. But but we can just through our societal norms by not caring what you wear to work, right? Mm-hmm. Not caring I mean, what how I you don't do your wear makeup. A bikini to work, but oh. however, you know, yeah, but <laughs> you know, draw, I mean, I might draw the line there, but, 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 but I maybe. agree with you, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's like there's the there's that like socially accepted uh, what do you say, all humility or modesty, you know, yeah. that we all kind of accept sort of a thing, but then there's also like. Who cares? You know, like, yeah. and I think especially now, I think a thing that I I hope every day that from just this nightmare of a pandemic that we've been living through together, that one thing that comes out of this is like right now, you and I are looking at each other over video. I'm wearing a collared polo. You've, you know, got a zip up there and we're like, we look like normal people. What you don't see is that I'm, I'm wearing gym shorts mm-hmm. <laughs> right now. And over this last year, I do some work lobbying our state legislature and it was great. I got to go testify in support of a couple of bills wearing a suit and tie up top, <laughs> but I had gym shorts on and it was so comfortable. And I actually felt like I was more effective. I got, cause I'm more comfortable, right. you know, wearing those. And so when, when we can kind of get rid of those, just no reason societal norms and let people be more of who they really are. They're going to be happier to be there. They're going to do a higher quality. Everything's going to be better. So I, 
I double your passion. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. with you. And the same thing goes for people that are younger than you. Just because someone's younger than you doesn't mean they don't have value to add. And and I will just say that going back to people with disabilities, if you if you were someone who had someone very close to them in your life with a disability, growing up with them, they would be who they are. So that person that you're working with, they are who they are. And I'm just going to give an example. I grew up with my sister. She had polio. She never could use her legs to walk. I mean, she walked on crutches for many years and now she's in an electric chair. But I can honestly tell you wholeheartedly, I never considered her handicap until I was probably in my mid 30s and someone in front of me called her handicap. And I was just like, what? I was like, oh. And at first yeah. I was like, my sister is not handicapped. And I, and because my sister has always done everything she wanted to do. And yeah. she took me to the park. I mean, my sister is 11 years older than me. So she pulled me in a wagon while on crutches to the park. She walked miles with me. And I will say they know more about polio when all of that things that she did actually kind of harmed her. They know a lot more um, about the disease than they did then. Um, and I do plan on having her on a, a podcast to talk about that. But I, I guess my point is she was just my sister. She, We grew up every day together and she, yeah, she was, on, I don't know. I just, I never thought about it. She just was on crutches and yeah. yeah. And I really, I don't know, part of me, I don't know, maybe you'll understand this, but when that person called her handicap and I really realized she was handicapped, I don't, it honestly bothers me a little bit. Yeah. Well, one, who, who are they to say that, right? They don't have a relationship with her. They don't know That's her. Exa- I feel a little like that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, so there's a concept out there. And one of the things that I was really intentional in was we brought people in to train on this. And then we've actually just, this is, this is part of what we expect when we onboard new people, we talk about this, but it's the concept of person first language. Because like in your example, your sister to you was your sister and a person first to this person out of the blue, they were, she was handicapped first. And so this presents in our, in our words by saying that's a handicapped person, handicapped first person, second, as opposed Mm -hmm. to saying there's a person that's handicapped or the immoral, there's a person who uses a wheelchair. There's a person that has autism, you know, or whatever. Now within there, people need to have their own agency. There's this incredible, incredible woman. Her name is Bev Harp and she uh, works at the university of Kentucky in humanities and just a powerful speaker. And when she introduces herself in a talk, she says, hi, my name's Bev and I'm autistic. I'm not a person with autism. I'm autistic. (laughs) And then goes on, but that's her. She's the one saying that as someone that doesn't know her, I come in first saying there's a person period. And then there's stuff about that person. They get to own how they're identified from there. Hmm, that's really interesting. I have to think about that, but that's an interesting way to break it down, right? And that's revamping, that's restructuring the thoughts that you know we've been raised with on how yeah. to represent that person. Exactly. Right? And, oh, like we, we've we've come up with all kinds of other language, right? You know, and 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 stuff. We you know it's it's you know handicapped parking, disabled parking, other other abled. You know, we come up with all these other terms, but the bottom line, if we just start from person, it changes everything, right? Don't you feel like we have to name everything? Well, you know, I don't know that we do. Well, no, I just mean as a society, don't we name everything? Totally. Everything. Yeah. Everything has, um, is it's just as human beings, for some reason, we feel like we need to put a name to it. Mm -hmm. And, and the thing that's hard with that, right? So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about my, about my partner, about my wife for a moment, because she has invisible physical disabilities. Um, she has a thing called Ehlers-Danlos syndrome or EDS, and it's a, it's a complicated disease that we're learning more about. 
Um, but the bottom line is her spine is compressing in on itself and it's not osteoporosis. It's this other, this is, it has to do with collagen and I'm not a doctor, so I'll stop there and let people do their <laughs> own research on it. But if you look at her, you would never know. You would never know. And she's strong and she's an achiever and she does things and can do all these, all, all these amazing things. So with her, you look at her and she's a person, she's a very, um, driven person who's achieved a lot of great things. She's such a better person than I am. It's kind of what I'm trying to say here. <laughs> but, but she's also a person who lives in chronic pain, um, whose body is falling apart, who has to go to physical therapy three to four times a week for the rest of her life. She has this burden that she really has to carry. And that's not fair. I, I can say that because she identifies it as a burden. It's not fair for me to look at someone I don't know and call it a burden. It might not be a burden for them. So with her, it's, it's, she's a person first who also has a chronic, you know, a chronic illness that leads, leads to forms of disability. Um, and so I think, I think that we can still put labels on things, but one thing I'm, I'm pretty excited about and have learned more is there's a, a, a newer term in HR um, parlance that's getting out into the real world, but it's called neurodiversity. Right. So we know about diversity, you know, different ethnicities, religions, LGBTQ plus and all those different things. Um, but the concept of neurodiversity is acknowledging the fact that our brains all work differently. And so there's diversity within how our brains work. So like your colleague with Asperger's, uh, there, there's neurodiversity there where you, both of you have brains that in a sense work somewhat similar in one way work similarly, right? Just the facts, right. let's get work done and get it done. So you can connect there. But with him having Asperger's, they would identify him as being neurodivergent. Whereas me, I would be more termed as neurotypical and that my brain works in alignment with like typical accepted society, the dominant culture sort of a thing. Not one isn't better than the other. We're just acknowledging they're different. But within neurodivergence is OCD, autism, uh, you know, all, all, just all these different ADHD, you know, different things where brains work differently. And so it's like this big, big label that we can use that encompasses a lot of things. So now I'm a person with a, with a, with a neurodivergence on there kind of a thing mm -hmm. and don't have to drill down to ADHD with a dose of OCD and a bit of anxiety sprinkled in for fun, you know? Right. Right. <laughs> right. Wow. I've not heard of that terminology yet. That's interesting because I mean, there again, you're still kind of putting a name to it though. Mm -hmm. How do you, what, how is one better than the other? And I think that's the key. Neither is better than the other um, really. And I think that, well, I think, I think one, the term neurodiversity or neurodivergence doesn't have the baggage attached with it on there, right? If I say that a person has autism or a person is autistic, you have a picture in your head, sure. right? In fact, I would challenge your listeners, right? I just said an autistic person, pause and think about who you just saw. Because what I'll tell you is, yes, that's probably a person, with autism, there are millions of others that look nothing like that, you know? And so I think with, and, 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 and so when I say neurodivergent, at most, you're probably thinking of some dystopian novel, you know, preteen, you know, teenage novel or, or movie or something right. <laughs> on there. But, but I think it just, it, it allows us Starting to like, fresh. Starting yeah, fresh. Yeah. Yeah. Sort yeah. of a thing. A, a, a different foundation. Huh. But a lot of that for us comes up in as leadership, again, creating those spaces to, to talk about these things, you know, and I, and it's, it's not, it's not enough to say, Hey, we're going to hire some people with disabilities and it's all going to be cool. It's just going to be fine. No, you got You got to talk about it and you have to create safe spaces where someone can raise their hand and they can share their bias and they can use that language. That's not okay. Um, and you, and then be educated, you know, from there. Well, I always thought this person was blah, blah, blah. Uh, one, we don't use that word. Two, it's this. And three, their name's Susie. She likes coffee. Maybe you should go out for some with that her. That person. Like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so much of that is in our speech. Um, and, you know, my husband says he really believes that the kids that are being raised today are the first official generation that is colorblind. And, you know, I think there's so much 
in our speech that we just don't get. We've, we heard our grandparents say it. We heard, uh, you know, that, that per, I mean, like what you're saying, it's just part of our everyday speech. I don't think we understand the weight that it, that it has. Cause I am, I have a poor memory. So I am so afraid I'm going to screw up someone's name. I never say the person's name. I'm like, I do say that. I do say like, oh, that person or her. I say her or him. Um, Cause I'm so, I, the second I go to say it, it's not there. I, I just don't. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, and I think like we were saying, if you, if you do that with good intent and the person is offering some grace, like that's okay, you know, in those things. And I think it's important that people do that. I think it's unrealistic to expect us to remember everything all the time. And, and we have to acknowledge as well that like language is changing. I, I have a really good friend, um, who's, a just one of the greatest piano players I've ever heard in my life. He's so good. But we're both um, born in the same year, grew up in the same town, and then ended up here. Like our life journeys brought us to the same place. But we're like right in the tail end of being a gen, you know, generation X. And, you know, so we were we were the generation that still got to come home to no parents and it was fine, you know, kind of a thing. But mm-hmm. also like, you know, we were saying no to strangers, you know, and stuff. And so like we were in that middle place. And I think that it, culturally we... I think Gen X struggles a lot more than others with just the way a lot of things are changing um, because we've never had a solid this or that kind of a piece. But, but ultimately you're right. I think our language, our language is outdated. It doesn't support what we know about, about people now. Um, You know, and I think just like the, like I, I brought it up earlier, but I think pronouns are the, the perfect example of that where like my, I don't understand that it doesn't make sense in my mind, but also it doesn't have to make sense to me um, because it makes sense to the person whose pronouns are they, them or Zizer um, or whatever it makes. And I, it's just up to me to respect that person. That's it. I don't have to understand it. I just have to respect them in there. Yeah. I mean, even if you don't agree with it, I mean, you're not living their life. And especially if that person is literally just passing through your life It's just, I'm not saying that saying they or them is holding up a sign that says, oh, I'm buying in it to hook, line and sinker for those people who um, have a real issue with it. But just in the moment, it's just providing grace and a a moment of kindness. And um, it's, dare I say, like wearing a mask. Just putting that out there. Yeah, just saying. Yeah, it's like, (laughs) yeah. Well, you know, and I think too that, I think that where some people get hung up, right? And that, oh my gosh, we're talking about pronouns. Oh my gosh, you want me to hire people that have disabilities? Oh my God, you know, and all these things. The thing that people don't understand, the end of the story, right? And I think that's, people are focused on the change that society is kind of asking them to make. And I'll be honest, the change I, Jeff Aiken, am asking them to make, because I've been there. I've been doing this for a long time now. And the secret to all of this is one, your workplace will be a better workplace. You're going to have a richer culture. People will connect more. They're going to care about each other. And then if you don't care about that, if you're all the business and whatever, here's the other thing. Your retention rates are higher. Uh, You get a higher quality applicant when you're looking for people because you've created a culture that good, skilled people want to come work in. And the other piece I get higher production per person that, oh my gosh, Kendra, I, I, <laughs> when I, when I started managing this program, there were almost 150 employees that worked there and they weren't meeting a single one of their service level agreements. Like they were wow. failing on every count. They were begging to get more people trying to scrape the money together, just abjectly an objective failure in management. Eight months, it took eight months of me focusing on being person first and creating an inclusive environment that through attrition, people promoting or leaving and doing things, we dropped down to 80 people and we were exceeding every oh, single wow. service level. So I cut our operating That's costs impressive. almost in half. And and I, I'm just like, ah, like I'm, oh, because I want people to hear this. The only change we made was focusing on people and making sure that they felt included 
respected and that they belonged at work with us. Yeah. I mean, oh. so radical, Jeff. So I know, right? Radical. <laughs> well, speaking of radical, although it's not radical, I do, before we run out of time, I want to talk about your podcast because oh, yeah. although I'm a huge Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, like that, I do like Star Trek. And I honestly don't know how I came across your podcast, but your podcast is related to all that is Star Trek. And so I'm actually just going to let you, I I just think it's such a cool concept that you've taken and it's so unique and so creative. So let's tell us about your podcast and where we can find it. Well, thank you. It's called the Starfleet Leadership Academy and it's anywhere you get podcasts out there. Um, jeffaken.com is the website or just search, you know, Starfleet Leadership Academy. But I think the best way to describe what it is, is to describe how it came to be. And so a different, I was, I was placed into this other program, a similar situation of, Hey, Jeff, go and go and make this culture better. And the leadership team there met every single day for two hours, every day to talk about the same things. And I think it was like, I don't know, maybe four days into the job, I couldn't, I couldn't take it anymore. And I literally hit the table and I said, ah, I want meetings like Captain Kirk has meetings, right? Issue, discussion, decision, action. Boom, boom, boom. That's what I want. And started taking steps to change how we did our meetings. But that planted a seed in my head where I was like, oh, I was able to make a change to the better based on what I saw in Star Trek. I wonder. (laughs) And so I started watching some Star Trek, as I do a lot. um, And I realized that like there's leadership lessons buried in all of these episodes. So I started the Starfleet Leadership Academy. And what I do each episode is I watch an episode of Star Trek. I tell the story, kind of what happens. You don't have to be a Star Trek fan to, to come into this. I'll walk you through what's happening. But I extract the leadership lessons, the management, communication, personal development. I even get deep sometimes into some like Lean Six Sigma and agile project management kind of methodologies that happen in there. And then I spell them out in a really relatable, because I think when you think leadership development, right, you think like old white dude wearing a suit and being kind of stodgy and telling you about, you know, Dr. Deming's 13 points and blah, blah, blah. When really it can be fun. Like leadership is awesome because it's about people. And so I make it fun and relatable, but I tie it all (laughs) to Star Trek because. And they're characters. So so if you've seen Star Trek or not, obviously many iterations of Star Trek and there is a plethora of types of people and aliens, which obviously relate to just other types of people, but you take those diverse, and what was the word that you used earlier? I don't know. I have a couple words I've used so earlier. So <laughs> about how we, you know, process our thoughts. Neurodiverse. Yes, neurodiverse. They are yeah. neurodiverse, and you walk through and you break down those characters. And you can meet people in your own life by listening to how Jeff described these describes the different characters on the show and like, Oh yeah, like that's my friend so-and-so or, Oh my God, I totally worked for that dude one time. And so it's totally relatable. Like you said, even if you've never watched a show, it's, it's very well done. I, and so what have you been able to achieve with, with the podcast? Well, you know, I think the biggest thing that I've been able to achieve is just connecting with amazing people like you and and your listeners and others. Just, I mean, I think what's been exciting for me is when you're in, when you're into Star Trek and you're into leadership, um, you're kind of painted into this corner and there's a lot of things people think about you. I've been able to break a lot of those stereotypes and meet really cool people people and influence some career paths for people. Um, oh my gosh, there's one person I'm thinking of right now who just started their first management job they ever had, and they'd never considered management before until they had listened to my podcast. And so for me, for me, Star Trek, Star Trek represents a better future that's possible. It, 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 it's hope right? We can look at that and see that. But what I know is that to get to a better future, we need leaders that are treating people with respect and dignity and being good leaders. And so in my own selfish way, 
This podcast is a way for me to watch my favorite show and like it, but then help develop people into the leaders that will actually make those ideals that we see in Star Trek a reality for everybody. So ultimately, it's just a super selfish endeavor for myself to make the world a better place. (laughs) Right. Well, you know, and that's really the foundation. I mean, love, right? You you think about that, but that's really about people. And so, um, caring for other people, doing for other people. It's really the foundation of humanity at, at its core and, or what it should be about, right. You know, doing for each other. Um, actually before we started the recording, you were talking about the pro wrestling and, and how good wrestlers make the other person look good. Right. And if we just in life, would look at someone as a person and make sure that we set them up to look good in life and be it, you know, a job, the environment, our planet, and I'm, I'm big animal welfare. Um, you know, all of those things stem to make life better for yourself and for other people. So, I mean, that's the basis of all of that. So, Jeff, thank you so much for being here today. I mean, I could keep going. Um, time goes by so fast. I always feel I like, oh, we're going to have so much time and so much time to talk about it. And it goes really fast. So thank you so much. And I just, um, I, it's easy for me to have good thoughts about people with physical disabilities because that's what I grew up with. And it's so easy. And, and I have to also alter my, my own thought process about, um, people with mental disabilities. Cause again, it goes back to what are we used to? What are we, you know, do, do we have the capability to manage those? So I just encourage people to start that conversation with yourself. And so to do that, where would you suggest that they go to get more information or really, you know, if they don't know anything, where's a good place to start? Yeah. So most states have an employment first program that literally exists to help people do this. And you can go to a website, APSE.org. It's APSE.org. It's the Association of People Supporting Employment First. And they can get you in touch with your local chapter and then they can open all kinds of doors. And I'll tell you, I've been working with APSE for a couple of years and I was um, able to speak at their conference in 2019, the last in-person one. Hopefully we get one next year, knocking on wood again. Um, But it's a great organization. The minute you kind of raise your hand and you're like, hey, I'm kind of thinking about this thing, you will have people like just falling over themselves to help you. There's so much passion around helping people with disabilities get employment because I think the bottom line for me in all of this, Kendra, is there's every reason to do this and there is no rational reason to not do this at all. Mm, Good point. That's pretty cool. Wow. All right. I, okay. I was going to ask you to do this. I just want to hear the pro wrestler voice announcement. Oh my gosh. I can't let you go. I'm going to put you on the spot. You can really say no and not do it. I'll do it. it. Oh my gosh. Let's let's in. I'm going to let you in the podcast. All right. So here we go. You know what, Kendra? You are one of the most incredible podcast hosts I've ever worked with. Anyone who's not listening to this podcast right now and not sharing it across every social media channel, I've got to wonder what's wrong with you. But I tell you what, you come back here wherever you get your podcast, be it Spotify, be it Apple Podcasts, it doesn't matter. You download this, you share it, and I'll see you in your podcast. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) All right. Change your thoughts, change your life. <laughs>